This week is our final week of preaching on, particularly, specifically on the Beatitudes. Throughout these last weeks of Lent, we have been looking at the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, part of his Sermon on the Mount, using them as a lens through which to gaze more intently at our own lives and at our own life of faith. This week, we will hold the final three teachings together, the pure, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. We will see what they show us about God, about each other, and about ourselves. Let us listen to the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. God is still speaking. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We come to the end of these Beatitudes, and they also appear in the book of Luke, It is something that we can keep going back to again and again. Jesus is continually trying to reorient us towards God's vision and God's way of valuing the world. And so it's worth looking a little more closely at what these three, four blessings say to us, pure and peacemaking and persecuted, as they describe the blessings. So first, pure. Being pure, as in pure in heart, as Jesus states, can make us think of being clean and pristine. And the Greek word can be used for this, for clean. However, pure can also mean something like a substance that is most truly its essence. It's unmixed, unadulterated. So a pure heart burns with fire and focus for one thing. One pastor puts it this way, Being pure of heart means knowing as a matter of habit and uncomplicated clarity which things are important, not fashionable, not popular, not effective or lucrative or eye-catching or relaxing, not clever or witty or dramatic or even necessarily urgent, but important. And then in a crisis, when everyone else has lost his or her sense of perspective, you'll be able to see the one thing that no one else is able to see, because you never stopped looking for it. So blessed are the pure in heart, we hear. We might imagine this to say, blessed are those who care and care deeply. Blessed are those who invest all their heart and mind and strength in what matters. Blessed are those who are passionate and convicted, focused on what is truly important, and who let that burning fire fill up their lives. The second beatitude we heard in these verses is blessed are the peacemakers. And peacemaking is something we are probably not surprised to hear about in the Gospels. This beatitude might make us automatically nod our head, yes, yes, peacemaking is good, yes, yes, God is about peace. Yet this teaching is probably one of the hardest ones to put into action. So many of the others address things that we will experience in a normal life, a normal human life. At some point, we will all probably hunger and thirst, mourn, feel deprived and poor. 
But there is no guarantee that we will ever be peacemakers. There's no guarantee that we will ever practice reconciliation or work for the healing and wholeness of the world. We can live our whole lives and not once know what it looks like to truly make peace. It's worth noting that being calm is not a sign of being peaceful in the Gospels. Jesus is not saying we need to work all of our lives for tranquility. If that was all that Jesus of Nazareth was aiming for, he would have stayed on that hill in Galilee, preaching and teaching in his home country, content to be seen as a popular, compelling rabbi with a good word to share. Instead, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, and then a few years later, He is arrested and tried and dragged through the streets and nailed up for a public execution. When Jesus preaches, blessed are the peacemakers, he gets into trouble with the authorities. This is a reminder that God's vision for peace is not always our vision of peace. We might want everyone to be calm and happy. God wants the world transformed with an abiding, courageous peace. When we are trying to uphold this vision of God's peace, this vision that God is giving us, things do not stay tranquil and calm. When we are challenging the world's version of peace, peacemaking can get us into trouble. So blessed are the peacemakers, We might imagine this says, blessed are you who are not deterred by promises of placid calm. Blessed are you who work for the peace that God promises. Whereas Isaiah declares, the army and the warrior will lie down extinguished, quenched like a wick. Where God will make a way for living, for rivers of living water, even in the wilderness. Lastly, the teachings we heard from Jesus today culminate in words of comfort for the persecuted. I don't know about you, but these are interesting words to hear in this day and age. I was reading back over Slate Magazine's 2014 project. They called it Project of the Year of Outrage. What they did throughout the year 2014 was to track on social media and public interviews how many times a year someone said they were outraged about something. This word has been used in everything from lattes to health care to, in 2014, Obama's shirt sleeves to war. People get worked up and declare they are outraged almost every single day of the year. We live in a time when what has been accepted as the dominant narrative, just how things always have been, is being challenged. This upends our way of approaching the world our way of just going through daily life. Thus, many of us can feel like we are being persecuted. Like we, this is an outrage we have not had to face before. One scholar likens this to a jacuzzi. He says, first, we think that we will go through our day being exposed to new ideas like a shower. We will choose to step in. We will be washed clean of our bad ideas and then step forth refreshed and happy. But how we actually live is like a jacuzzi, where we are all being thrown together all the time. Everything we know is jostled and tumbled and turned upside down. Everything we thought we believed in 
feels so much more fragile now. We feel challenged at every turn. We feel bruised by the bump and tumble of life. Thus, we cry out so many times that we are being persecuted. Whether our life is in danger or not, we declare we are outraged and being persecuted. This way of reading the Beatitudes, as if God is giving a checklist that can make me feel particularly special, this way of reading, indeed, any teaching of Jesus where we go down the list and decide that this applies to us and therefore we can feel particularly blessed, this is a danger that we have to push against. We are in danger of seeing the scriptures, seeing the Beatitudes as we have heard them over the last five weeks as an assembly line of parts so that we go down the line and we put together the parts that apply to us, the parts that will make us feel assured of God's blessing. We say, I feel persecuted, therefore I must surely deserve God's blessing. Or I am trying to be the meek and merciful one here, so surely good things are coming my way. We are in danger of using the Beatitudes as an aptitude test, going down a list of potential exam questions and determining whether we are good enough for God's grace. We hear these teachings and we ask, do I measure up? Do I pass? Is this kingdom of God for me? Will I be called a child of God? Spoiler, here are the answers. No, you do not measure up. I do not measure up. None of us measures up. It is not about measuring up. No, we do not pass the exam. We will never pass the exam because there is no final exam. Yes, you will be okay. By God's grace, you will be more than okay. Yes, yes, God's kingdom is intended for you. And yes, yes, yes. You have been called and claimed already before you knew your own name. Yes, you are a child of God. The Christian life is not about passing an exam. The life of discipleship and following Jesus is not about measuring up. It's about seeing the world in a whole new way, infused with a sense of grace and love that is beyond ourselves and responding with hope and faith and gratitude for that vision. We are so often in danger of using scripture like the Beatitudes, like a GPS system. We turn to a page of the Bible, we plug in our destination, eternal life or everlasting peace, the kingdom of heaven, and then we expect the scriptures to tell us how to get there. We hear passages like the Beatitudes as the voice of Jesus telling us to turn left, turn right, turn around, turn around, turn around. But the Bible Scripture, words like these Beatitudes, are not a GPS system. They are better understood as a map. The old-fashioned map that you would spread out on your knees or on your table and peer at. Whereas a GPS starts with putting ourself at the very center and then going from there, a map won't do that work for us. With a map, we are probably not at the center. With a map... We find our place by looking at everything around us. Scripture does the same thing. It doesn't show us what precise turn to take or which finely tuned direction to go. 
Instead, Scripture, like a map, shows us the fuller, broader landscape across which we travel. This is what the Beatitudes are doing. The Beatitudes spread out like a map before us. Jesus smooths out the crinkles and stretches it wide and invites us to crane our necks and look more closely. Through the Beatitudes, Jesus points at the map and says, this is God's. All of this is in God's hand. And here you are, here you are, in all your grieving, mourning, thirsting, persecuted brokenness. In all your needy, aching imperfection, you are already here in God's land. You are in God's creation. You are here and God is here. And I have already sat down right next to you in the middle of this messy, fragile life. Through scripture, we are not being given directions that will show us how to escape the world to get to heaven. We are being given a map that will show us where we are right here, right now, and who is journeying along the way with us. We are being given a map to know more fully and clearly the terrain across which we travel and what is happening all around us even now. We are being given a new way to understand what we are going through as well as what others are going through. We are here in God's land, and our hurting brother and sister, neighbor and stranger is here as well. The Beatitudes are not a measuring stick, but a new way of seeing. The Beatitudes are not an exam to pass or a line of parts to assemble They are a vision of what the hills and valleys, the rivers and plains of the world will look like if we start to live out God's dream. The Beatitudes are a vision of who we are and whose we are and how the Holy Spirit is already shaping the land all around us. The Beatitudes give us this vision and we will struggle to hold on to it. As we head into Holy Week, we will be given an example of what it looks like when we lose sight of God's work around us. As we head into Holy Week, as we head to the point where Jesus dies, we will watch as the crowds and the disciples lose faith. They will despair. They will get angry. They will start judging and measuring who matches their version of the Savior, and Jesus himself will fall short of their measurements. Jesus will fall short and not pass the test. And so we, they, all of us who do so much work on this judgment and measuring, we will kill Jesus. That is coming. Yet right here, right now, we can stay in this moment and remind ourselves that we are being given a new way of seeing the world. Here we can keep looking and see the landscape across which we travel, and see that it is speckled when we look with moments, small and large, where Christ shows up and sits down, where the Holy Spirit starts to breathe and move, where God begins to create a new thing from the broken, blistered places of our lives. And when we are unsure of what to do next, unsure of what step to take or whose voice to listen to, when we are lost and stumbling and confused and turned around, this is where Christ plops down next to us and says, I am here. 
God is here. There is no need to get up and go anywhere yet. I know that you are grieving and angry and hurting and hungering and persecuted and wounded and disappointed. Rest here. Just a moment. I am here. God is here. Blessing is here. So just rest here for a moment. Just for a moment, rest here in this blessing with me. May it be so. Let us pray. God, we are here in your hands, in your land, and you are the one who is providing enough for us, enough provision to take the next step of faith, enough blessing to get through the day. Teach us how to rest, O Lord, and teach us how to go forth and seek you and to seek your fingerprints all across this world we live in. In your holy name we pray. Amen.